this is the ground floor. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to yet another edition of The Ground Floor. I am your host, Jesse Finver, and with me today, a very, very special guest, someone I've been trying to get on the show for a little bit now, Liam McHugh of Turner Sports. It feels a little weird saying of Turner Sports after seeing you for so long on NBC, but welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks. Yeah, I have to say, it feels kind of odd. I've, uh, I think it's the first time I've been welcome to a show as a member of uh, Turner Sports. So uh, <laughs> feels strange, but it uh, feels good. I'm, uh, I'm excited about the new gig. So and uh, happy to come on. So new gig, you know, but it takes a while to get to a level like this, you know, being able to be a, a host for a professional sports league on a major network like Turner, you got to start somewhere, right? So when you were a kid, do you have a first broadcasting memory, something that it could be, it could be anything like a, from a movie you're watching or an actual game, whatever it is, what was it that stuck with you? Oh, uh, I would say uh, a few things, uh, but definitely when I was in middle school and high school, just watching the Knicks, it's a huge Knicks fan growing up uh, and just listening to Marv Albert and, mm -hmm. you know, like, uh, it was such an original voice and he uh, brought such like passion and excitement to the game, but it felt very genuine. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel like he was overdoing it or overselling it. And uh, I don't know. I, I love Marv. Uh, I've, I've gotten to work with him, which is, was a surreal experience, uh, experience <laughs> for me. Uh, but yeah, I would say that, but I was, I was not one of those guys who was like taking a tape recorder and recording my voice and, trying to call games or broadcast. I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I loved sports. I played sports. And I think uh, when I was young, I was probably, uh, you know, delirious with the idea that maybe I would play sports for a living rather than actually be a broadcaster. So, uh, you know, I was more of an athlete uh, than I was uh, someone who was looking at this. And as I get older, I realized I, I love telling stories. Uh, I loved uh, interacting with people and sports was just something I knew. So, uh, I fell into it, but no, I was definitely someone who was not like, Oh, when I was 12, I knew I wasn't going to be an athlete. So I became a broadcaster and I started like in my basement. No, at 12, I still thought like I would grow five <laughs> or six more inches and gain like 30 pounds and be an athlete. It just didn't happen. So I'm assuming, so, I mean, based off that answer, I mean, I'm guessing you didn't do a lot of broadcast stuff in high school, right. Or anything like that. So was it at Syracuse or Buffalo? Where, where did you get that experience? Yeah, I, uh, when I was in Buffalo in undergrad, uh, I played soccer for a couple of years. Uh, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, and I started writing for the school paper. Uh, and, you know, I grew up in like a, a very heavy written word house. My dad was an English teacher. My mother uh, was a library clerk. Uh, there were books everywhere, magazines, newspapers, just constantly flooding our house. Uh, you know, reading and writing was something that was stressed and uh i thought it was something i wanted to do and i got into writing and uh i wound up doing that after undergrad for uh a few years at new york newsday on long island did a little writing for espn magazine as well but i think in the back of my mind uh i knew that i wanted to at least try broadcasting i, I really wanted to give it a shot um 
And it was recommended to me by a few people at ESPN Magazine at, and colleagues I've worked with that you know, maybe it was something that I should try, which I would also say speaks to how limited they probably thought I was as a writer because they were like <laughs> fully willing to be like, yeah, you should try something else. Uh, this may not be the right thing for you. So uh, a few years after I started writing, I went back to school at Syracuse. I went to the grad program there for broadcast journalism. Um, and it was, it was huge. It was extremely helpful. So you work for ESPN, the magazine, I, I, you know, <clears throat> doing my research, I, I wasn't able to figure out whether like timeline wise where that took place. But, you know, so you went ESPN, the magazine, Newsday, and then you went into broadcasting. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So, so I was uh, my first job was at New York Newsday. I was covering high school sports, uh, you know, entry level. It's a part time job. Uh, you're just kind of hustling. You're, you know, doing whatever you can to basically get your name in print and to learn the job. At that time, there were uh, some connections, a couple of editors who used to work at Newsday that then moved on to ESPN Magazine. Now, you have to understand, this is back in the day, ESPN Magazine was like a phone book. It was huge. It was mm -hmm. a big magazine, uh, and you know, there was a lot of money in it. Magazines were flourishing. So they hired a bunch of people to be researchers, uh, and a, lot of, a few of us from Newsday, who were sort of these junior reporters, got in that way. And we were doing research and working with all these writers and editors who were the best at what they did. Uh, and I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about journalism, just really on the job and watching them do what they did and reading what they wrote. And eventually I started pitching ideas and I was able to write some smaller sidebar articles for uh, ESPN. And I caught on with a couple of editors that I would continue to work with for a few years after that. And it was great. Uh, you know, like I said, I think it really taught me, you know, how to write in a tight fashion that was still entertaining. And I think that served me well for TV. Uh, because mm -hmm. again, like we're limited with time and you want to get in, get out and leave people with an impression. So it was college, then Newsday, then ESPN magazine, all sort of swirling around to one. And then uh, about 2003, I could tell you it was right. It was the year after Syracuse won the national championship. <laughs> I went back. Uh, and I went to Syracuse, and it's a full-year uh, grad program, summer to summer, which was perfect for me because everyone else was right out of undergrad, and I was like the old creepy guy at 25 <laughs> going back to school. Uh, so I did that, and then after that, I uh, went from you know living in New York and writing for Newsday and ESPN the magazine, and then Syracuse. I moved to Terre Haute, Indiana. <laughs> uh, where I started my broadcast uh, career, the uh, glamorous spot. Terrible. Yes, I love it. I love it. By the, by the way, they still have uh, an article from ESPN The Mag by you out on the interwebs. Uh, uh -huh. It's just titled Number 3 Miami, um, uh -huh. which I believe it was August 20th, 2002. So that was the year after they won a title, I believe. Mm. Um, and I think you were like writing about like like Ken Dorsey. And how wow, he's, yeah. he's he's struggling a little bit without his guys from 2001. Um, that was a long time ago. I'm sure it's about like a hundred uh, words long that article, and <laughs> it, it probably it probably went through about nine edits, and at least three of those words were words that I actually wrote that they kept in the article. <laughs> so. uh, you mentioned Terre Haute, Indiana. I mean, as someone who also moved away for broadcasting, uh, I can relate to that heavily. Um, and that's why I wanted that to be brought up. You know, I moved to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. So I, I moved mm -hmm. quite a ways away from the New York area as well, where I grew up. And uh, I, I thought it was an, it was an incredible experience, something that was very valuable. Um, 
but as we go, as we move along, you know, uh, year by year, local news, you know, kind of shrinks more and more. Um, it just seems like it's got less of an audience every year. You know, people my age, I'm 26. We don't watch the local news. You know, if we want to watch, if we want to get our, our weather, we go on the weather app. If we want to go traffic, we, you know, I mean, probably that's like the, the most important thing is traffic right now for commuting and whatnot. But, you know, people might, like I said, people my age don't really watch. Do you think it's still the best path for young people to be taking in the broadcast industry to want to be able to get to the spot that you're in right now? Or is there a better path, like becoming a TikToker, right? Like, is there something, is there, or is there a happy medium? Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's, it's been difficult because, you know, one thing I've done over the years is uh, I've spoken to a lot of people who are coming out of high school uh, or who are coming out of college and want to know, like, all right, what's the best path? And or they've started a professional career like I did and then want to change things up. And 10 years ago, uh, this was a pretty straightforward conversation mm -hmm. uh, for me, um, even though things were changing 10 years ago, it still felt like, all right, you know, go local because you will learn the job from top to bottom. Uh, you'll learn everything you need to know. You'll write, you'll produce, you'll shoot, you'll edit, you'll do everything. Uh, now, uh, I, I don't know that that's the right path. I, I don't. And and. I just think that there are other ways. Um, I just, I don't have the answer anymore. I don't think I had it before exactly for everyone, but I could just tell them what my path was, which was going local. And, and it also depends like who you meet. When I was in local, uh, I had a few bosses that were great. They were, they, you know, they saw something in me. They wanted me to experiment. They weren't all that worried about, uh, you know, whether what I did would rate uh, it was more like, hey, give this a try, you know, uh, do something different, feel free to experiment. Uh, and I think you can now do that on your own, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you can do that through social media, you can do that through uh, various, uh, I don't know, it, various digital avenues. And I can't say that there is a specific way for anyone to do this anymore. There just isn't. Mm -hmm. And it, it's whatever works for you. Uh, I can tell you, like you, I mean, Part of the experience for me, though, uh, was not just working local and coming up the traditional way and grinding and trying to make it. It was getting out of New York. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it was getting out of my yeah. comfort zone. And, you know, I grew up uh, on Long Island, but I grew up like 25 minutes from New York City. And then after college, I came back and I worked in New York City. And that's what the traditional path was for people that grew up uh, around this area. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think they're a lot of my friends are now in their 40s and they're happy and they never left New York and they continue to live here and work. But I, I feel like I grew a lot as a person because I got way, way out of my comfort zone. Uh, you know, I moved to the Midwest. I moved to a small town. Uh, I learned about people. I learned about the country. I went from Terre Haute to Oklahoma. I lived in Virginia for a while. Um, and I'm better off for it. And I feel like I'm a better broadcaster because when I now talk about certain areas of the country, when I talk about people from those areas, it's not something I read. It's something I experienced. Uh, so I can't say that the traditional route of going to local market is for everyone anymore. I don't think it is. But I can say that getting out of your comfort zone and moving around the country, I think it's invaluable. I, I don't think you can get that digitally. I that I, I agree with that aspect of it. But I... Yeah everything you said, I, I really do agree with because 
yes, moving away. That's the invaluable part I was talking about. Moving to like Southern Mississippi for me, I, I would have never really, I would have never been there otherwise. You know, I'm a kid from New Jersey, right? Like, yeah. and I went to Penn State. Like, why would I go to Southern Mississippi? Like, other for other than for work. So, yeah. getting that experience, were, were you moving to Terre Haute, Indiana? I mean, why would you go to where? Where was that? Central Indiana, like it's something? like it's uh, Western Indiana. It is uh, where Indiana State University and Larry Bird is. Uh, ah, Terre Haute, Indiana. But yeah, it's like the Illinois Indiana border, and it's you know it's rural. It's, uh, it's yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you would have never been there otherwise, uh, or unless yeah. you were like covering an Indiana State game, maybe. Exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, back in the seventies. Um, so next, right? We're moving up. We're moving up yeah. the. Uh, up the elevator here, the daily line yeah. that lasted about a year. What did that teach you about failure? You know, I mean, it, not to say, I mean, it was only no. last year, but like, you know, that's an important aspect of working in this industry is failure. You know, it's sometimes you're going to bomb. Like the first time I ever went live on TV, I was doing a, I was covering a, a democratic candidate for Senate in Mississippi. So that's a doomed candidacy before it even starts right so like i'm like thinking like why am i here this guy's not gonna win um and then i write my script and send it in and you know my live script and my assignment this is like less than a year on the job my assignment editor changes my script five minutes before i go live like completely changes my script and i'm freaking out because normally i just memorize my lines you know i'm 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 a, I'm a fresh fit fresh fish right out of the pond right coming to mississippi and i'm like all right this is my first ever live shot and then she changes it up on me and I'm freaking out. You bomb sometimes. It happens. Yeah. Yeah. So you I mean, you didn't bomb, but like it was a year of a show and then they 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 canceled it. What what did that teach you? Uh, I learned more doing that show for which was actually less than a year. I think it lasted about like eight and a half months. Uh, I learned so much about the job uh, and I, I, I don't think I've ever worked that hard. And I'm not sure I've ever had more rewarding work despite, you know, the end result. Uh it was uh, it was intense because it was a national show, but it was bare bones. So every it was like all hands on deck. Everybody was doing like three jobs at once, despite the mm-hmm. fact that it was a national job. Uh, but in, in a way, I was used to that because I was used to doing local, which is sort of like you do everything. Yeah. But uh, I remember uh, specifically we're about to start, and, and you know, in the build up, there's this idea that you know this is going to be big and everyone's going to be a star and. Uh, you know, we're shooting promos, which to me was so strange, you know, like we're, we're shooting <laughs> commercials. I was like, why don't we work on the show a little bit before we start shooting promos? Uh, but we rehearse one, you know, in the days leading up and it's in New York City and I've moved there. My wife at this point, who I met Syracuse, is uh, a news anchor and reporter in the Roanoke market in Virginia. But she is leaving her job to come uh, live with me in New York City. She is in the car, has packed the car, is on her way up. We finished the rehearsal, and I call her, and I said, how's it going? She's like, oh, all right. I'm like an hour and a half into the ride. I said, can you, do you think you could go get your job back? <laughs> like, what are, you, what are you talking about? I was like, I don't, I was like, we're going to be canceled in like three days. Like, this thing is a <laughs> mess. Uh, and it was just one of those things where, like, you got to figure it out on the fly. And we did uh, to a degree. But I would say that the first time we went on the air, uh, the opening night, the first segment, and bear in mind that the three other people I'm on the air with, uh, Rob DeAngelis, who was sort of like our numbers guy slash uh, betting guy, but right before the show started, uh, very similar to your story, they were like, I don't know if we want to call him the betting guy. Like, let's make him a stats guy. And he's like, well, I'm not a stats guy. Like, I'm a bet, like, I know Gantlin. And they're like, well, that's your job now. 
and now you're on the air. Uh, the comedian, they were like, be edgy, which is uh, Reese Waters, who you know, is a, a yeah. brilliant guy, really smart. He does radio now in uh, D.C., does TV in D.C. Uh, but they were like, don't be too edgy. You know, like, he's like, well, you brought me on. And then there was Jen Serger, who uh, obviously had, like, a lot of fame and had done things with the web. But, like, this is still first TV job for Jen. Right. You know, and it's live TV. So we go on. First segment. And we have the IFBs in where you can hear, uh, you know, the producer and the director, if need be. The IFB is open. We hear every instruction going on in the control room. Now, Oh, no. Like 10 seconds into it, I get that, like, all right, this is on and this is going to not stop until we go to commercial in the first segment. I would have taken it out. Like, yeah, but I'm <laughs> I'm looking at all the other people on the set and they're staring at me like, what is going on? And I can't hear you. And I, so, like, I'm like, I'm sort of giving the eyes like we're just pushing through this. We're getting through this segment. We're getting a commercial. And then we get through it and everyone takes like a deep breath and no one knows what they said because you can't hear yourself. You can't hear anyone else. And it was fine it wasn't a disaster we got through it and i just calmly i just said i was like guys in the control room i was like we hear everything and plus it's the first time in the control room so it's a little panic in there anyway so everyone's shouting at each other and like roll this and do that yeah uh so it was a mayhem from the start and uh but it was fun at the same time it was hard work and there was a lot of pressure uh because we just moved to new york city we signed a lease and it's like we got to keep this going and every week the show changed because we overreacted. It was like, hey, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And it wasn't us. It was, you know, people above us, executives who were trying to justify and this was uh, on versus, their job right? and their existence, but they want to make this a success. So week to week, the show changed. It was difficult. It was a juggling act. Uh, I worked extremely hard. It did not work. But uh, I look at all this now and, you know, everyone's doing pretty well from that show. I, I run into people now behind the scenes all the time. I still work with some people. From that show, uh, in fact, the director for our studio programming uh, for NHL on NBC for ten years was the same guy who directed The Daily Line. You know, <laughs> so it, it's it's been we've all been okay. We've made it through it. Yeah, yeah. You learn from failure, and I think you also learn that like, hey, it's live TV. Uh, it's gonna go poorly at times, and if you can't roll with it, it's gonna be a problem. It yeah. really is. Uh, you just got to understand that, like, embrace the messiness of it sometimes. It's not always going to be clean. It's not always going to be perfect. Uh, but be self-aware. You know, when it's not perfect, just be relatable to people at home. You know, yeah. it's live. There, this is the there, way it is. There's a certain level of anxiety of going on live TV, especially, you know, you mentioned, like, first network TV gig. I mean, I've never yeah. been on network, but I, I, I know what it was like to go live in studio for the first time solo and do like and like I had to produce the show and edit the show and do everything and then go on. So there's a certain level of anxiety that goes with it, and you just gotta realize like shit's gonna happen, yeah. you know. And it's it's live TV. Like anything can happen. Somebody could just say something crazy standing next to, it and you're gonna have to be like, alrighty, and moving on. Like, yeah. like yeah, it just it happens. My first live shot in Tarot, Indiana, was from a high school basketball. Uh, the way they had Friday night football in Texas or Oklahoma, they had Friday night basketball in Indiana. It, mm -hmm. it's, it's that big. And I'm there and I'm like with a local coach and we're in a gym and we can hear the broadcast. We're waiting for our spot to go on and boom, our monitor, our monitor goes blank. Uh, and I see our producer and camera operator who's doing the live shot run, like runs out of the gym as if he's got to fix something. Uh, but there's still the red light on the camera. So I'm sitting there 
And all I remember is looking over at the coach and I said, you know, we can't hear anything. We don't over on. I was like, don't say anything. I was like, <laughs> I, I said, because if they're throwing to us, we can't hear. I said, just they'll know it's wrong and they'll take it in the studio. I said, but don't don't be turning around and wondering what's going on. Someone's going to curse. Someone's going to say, you know, something they shouldn't yeah. say. I said, let's just not say anything. They'll take us off the air eventually. And they did, which was good. Right. But it was the first live shot I ever did professionally. And the camera operator, like, he turned. He turned and ran. <laughs> like someone had kicked a plug out. Uh, but, yeah, it's just the way it goes. And, you know, there's going to be embarrassing moments. And you're going to just have to live with it. It's the way it goes. Yeah. I mean, I was bumbling and stumbling, talking politics. You know, it just happens. So, yeah. NBC, the place you just left. Uh, you were a bit of a Swiss Army knife. Like, I saw you doing, obviously, the NHL. But you they had you doing... Football, like football night in America. They had you doing, uh, did you ever do the Kentucky Derby? No, no. You know, all the uh, triple crown races wound up going on uh, the same playoffs. You know, be the day of playoff hockey. Yeah. So, so you'd be in studio. Yeah. You'd be in studio and they'd be, they, they like kick it to you and be like, yeah. all right, hockey now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was your favorite assignment at NBC? Oh, uh, I would say it's, it was definitely the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I, I think it's it's such a special event. And which, which one? Which one did you cover? All like you did for quite a while. A so. I started with the London Games in 2012. That was my first one, and yeah. I've covered every one since. The only one I didn't go to was this most recent one in Tokyo. Um, you know, a lot of us did not go for obvious reasons. Uh, you know, but uh, I'd been to, and and the cool thing about that is, I mean, I've been to London before, and, and that's a place I'm sure I, uh, you know, will go to again, but. You know, I got to go to a bunch of places I never would ordinarily travel to. You know, I'm, is, I'm not... is the NHL going to London? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the next trip. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, I'm not taking a trip. You know, I'm taking a family vacation to Sochi, Russia. You know, it's uh, wow. you get to go to places <laughs> that you, you you know are probably a little bit off the beaten path. But yeah, uh, yeah, I went to South Korea. I went to Rio. Uh, it, it was spectacular. Um, yeah. And really more than that, I think just from a broadcasting perspective, uh, you get athletes that want to share their story. Mm -hmm. And you, we don't always have that and for whatever reason. You know, uh, athletes are exhausted. They want to hear they don't want to hear the same questions over and over because they get peppered constantly. Uh, and professional athletes are sometimes reluctant. Uh, they're they're not the greatest guess. It's yeah. just the way it goes. Olympic athletes want to share their story. And uh, they want to tell you what they went through for all the years that you didn't know who they were. And now in this moment, they're suddenly globally famous. They want to tell you how they got to this point. So to have someone uh, come on who is genuine and raw, often these are people that are not, uh, you know, that savvy with the media. They just want to come out and share. Uh, yeah. That's a, that's such a great experience. Uh, and, one of the things I truly valued about the Olympics was being able to be in the studio, sharing that moment, sharing that excitement and, you know, have real live interviews with people uh, who, you know, the cool thing is like not everyone in the audience knows everything about them already. Like we're all kind of learning as we go. Yeah. Uh, so, and you don't know what the reaction is going to be. You don't know the answer to all your questions before you go in. You have the questions. You're curious to hear what they say. 
Uh, and that's that's the beauty of the Olympics. Now, the downside of that, of course, is that sometimes because it's the Olympics, you get like a 17 year old kid because uh, often Olympic athletes are very young and mm-hmm. they come on and you're like, you've been watching them on TV and they perform and they're brilliant. And they come in, you're like, oh, wow, this person's 17. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this person's really nervous to be on television right now. Uh, I need to warm them up and calm them down and yeah. uh, make sure that they're good on air and just comfortable because, you know, we forget that so quickly. Uh, so that's that's the downside. But, you know, I, I loved, loved doing the Olympics. All right. So your time with NBC is over and you are now joining Turner Sports, which has a long history of excellent studio coverage professional sports. What can you tell us about the team you're working with? I can tell you that when I went down over the summer to talk to Turner um, and meet with people and I got on the set and I got on with a few people just so we could sort of do like a chemistry test, you know, mm-hmm. of, of what's going to work. Uh, it, it felt right almost immediately. And uh, it, it's it's a better vibe for me. I, I learned a lot and did a lot of great things at NBC, but this was looser. It was more conversational. Uh, you know, it's... It's not just quick hit that and move on, quick hit that and move on, which, you know, is challenging in broadcasting. And, and uh, I'm glad I did it, but I want to have deeper conversations. I want to be able to, uh, I always say this, Bill, I'm not intentionally driving the train off the tracks, but if it goes off the tracks, I feel like if it's more interesting off the tracks at Turner, I can keep it there. And mm-hmm. I want to, uh, if, if it's interesting to me, uh, I feel like people are going to dig it at home. And Turner, it felt like, they were on the same page with me. And after one meeting, it was good to hear like, hey, we're not looking to change you. We want you to be you and come here. If you find it interesting, just keep going with it. So I'm pumped about that. And I love this crew that we're working with. First off, Wayne Gretzky is going to be part of this. So right away. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> you have the best player to ever play the game and he's going to talk about hockey. That's it. Like you've done, there's no other sales pitch needed. Like it'd be like Jordan on the set talking basketball. You want to hear what he has to say. So I'm pumped about that. Rick Tockett, who obviously had a great playing career and is really close to the players because he just coached in the NHL. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he really knows the locker rooms, knows the players, knows everything about the, you know, the current state of the game. Uh, So he can take us back and tell us stories and he can tell us things that just happened recently. Plus, He's tight with Wayne Gretzky, so I think there is a chance that, like, you know, Gretzky's never done this before. It's the first time on TV, so if you want to pull him out of his shell a little bit. Talk some stories. Yeah, yeah. Taki can help with that. Like, it's nice to have a buddy, you know, right there on uh-huh. set, make you a little more comfortable, make you not realize that you're on TV. Yeah, uh, that's the goal, right? Like, yeah. you, you just want it to be normal. Like, so, like, TNT, like, I mentioned that, like, TNT has a long history of excellent in-studio coverage. The NBA on TNT, inside the NBA, is... Without, like, it's been the best studio. No offense. I mean, you ran, you ran no, a great studio no, show no, at, at NBC. Yeah. But that is, like, the the gold standard, right? Ernie, Shaq, Kenny, and and Charles. Um, first of all, real quick, what's the plan to get Charles involved? I don't think there's even much of a plan. Uh, Charles will probably just walk in one day and decide <laughs> he's on the set. Like, if, if Charles walks in and decides I'm I'm in the show today, he's in the show. And, and that's, the way, that's the way it'll go. And... Uh, and that's how I'm going about it. No one's told me anything, and I haven't asked. I'm just assuming one day he'll yeah. just be there or walk on in the middle of one of our segments. Get him in a helmet. You get him like you know how like they have like the basketball court in the back. You get like two hockey nets. Put like a, give him a, a stick, a, some gloves, a helmet, and just let, let him take a slap shot like he's shooting I, a golf ball. 
I want him checking guys, frankly. Yeah. I just, yeah, I want to see how that goes. So. Um, are you guys trying to emulate, so like, to get back to what I was asking, are yeah. you guys trying to emulate at all what they've tried to do in terms of uh, their format, like the, you know, you mentioned that NBC, you know, it was, it was quick hitting and it was, it was fast paced. This is me more conversational. And are you guys going to be trying to go that route of having a lot more fun? To, like, yeah, to be- I think, I think absolutely. Um, you know, sports should be entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, now you hope that it's organic and you hope that it's not the type of situation where, uh, you know, you're, you're forcing comedy for comedy's sake i mean comedy is hard if we could do comedy we'd all be comedians uh you know we wouldn't be as it was dan levitar puts at the lowest rung of the showbiz ladder which is where we are but uh you i think the idea is sports should be fun they should be entertaining and we have guys that can do that i mean i've worked with anson carter for years i think anson's going to be better here at turner than he was at nbc because anson's personality fits this better mm-hmm. and you know we can vibe off each other paul bizanet uh, is going to be on the show as well. Yes, and I, I love this. Like he gets it. He understands. Like you know, he understands the sport, but then he also understands like what appeals to people, what's fun to people, what's entertaining. Uh, and just from the brief time that we got to work together over the summer, just on the set uh, chatting, like he's a great teammate, and yeah. that's important. You know, I, I think you always want to emulate the best, and I always say this to people. I, I found that. You know, in sports TV uh, or TV in general, like when I watch, I often find that I look at things and I find negatives. And then I say to myself, like, all right, let's avoid that. Um, That bothers me. That irritates me. Let's try not to do that on set. Uh, But when I watched Turner and when I watched uh, EJ, I basically was the opposite. I uh, I'd watch him and say, like, wow, this is the way it should be. Like, Mm -hmm. this is how we should do sports TV. Um, you know, and I think there are moments that we did that at NBC and, uh, I'm proud of a lot of those moments, but I think it's going to be better here at Turner. I really do. Uh, and I'm excited about it. I'm excited to bring something different, but I would also say this, the NBA show didn't become the NBA show week one. Correct. And I think that's something that people need to understand, need to remember. Like we talk about chemistry, like, yeah, we have some chemistry. We don't have that chemistry. Yeah, that's years in the making. And right. I'm hoping we can get there and I'm hoping we get there as quickly as possible. But, uh, you know, I, I mentioned just live TV embracing the mess. That was one of the things I talked to the guys about. Like, you know, don't worry about being perfect. This isn't about a perfect show. This is about being entertaining. So if something's sloppy or there's a mishap, like just recognize it. Like we don't have to, to sit there. I mean, everyone, if everyone at home saw something that's strange and we don't address it, it's way worse. Yeah, right? Like, like each other. Go at yeah. each other. It's much better. How would you watch this show if we were at a bar? Okay, just take the drinks away and you can't curse. That's a good way to start. Yeah, and then when Chuck comes on, you know, maybe a curse gets thrown in here or there. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, is it intimidating? And by the way, do you have a couple more minutes? I know you had yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So is it intimidating or exciting to be the face of this new brand for hockey? Like, especially since the hope is to re- reach new audiences, uh, people who might be unfamiliar with the sport. Turner reaches, I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't know if it reaches more homes than NBC Sports Network does, but it's just a, I'd say it's a more recognizable brand overall. Um, is, is, is it intimidating or exciting to be the face of, the, of, of this new project? Uh, or one of the faces? Exciting. 
No, I'd say it's exciting. It, it, you know, listen, there, there's there's some pressure. I, I tend not to dwell on it. Uh, I, I think the more time off I have, uh, the worse. Uh, you know, I, it's sort of like I'm eager to uh, – I'm going down to Atlanta starting tomorrow, and we're getting this going for preseason. And it, it's the time spent thinking about that stinks. I just want to get down there and do it and be involved in it. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I've hosted big events before. I've hosted, I mean, I co-hosted the Super Bowl, And I remember we did all this media prior to it, which was different. I mean, I, I do media throughout the year, but this was weird to be like on a conference call with like reporters from all over the country asking you questions about the broadcast of the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah. And one of the questions was like, you know, all right, well, everyone in the world is going to be watching when you come on. You know, how do you block that out? And I'm like, well, the first thing you, you know, try not to think about is the fact that everyone in the world is watching this. <laughs> uh, you know, you and and I really feel like once the red light goes on, I'm pretty good about blocking it out. I want to converse with the people that are at the set with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm hoping so- someone says something strange. I'm hoping someone says something uh, spontaneous that I can react off of. I don't want to be worried about getting to the next thing. I don't want to be worried about how I'm getting a break. I want to be worried about, was I listening to what was said so I can react off of it? And once I get into that, it's fine. Uh, And then after that, I told, you know, I'm sure people Turner are not going to be thrilled to hear this. I don't worry about the ratings. Uh, I just can't. It's out of my hands. There's nothing I'm going to do that's going to change that. I just, I'm a really harsh critic of my own work. I want to come home and feel like we did a good show. I, and mm-hmm. I, I want to, more than that, I want to feel like it's a show that I would have watched. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to do a clean, crisp show, and that's fine. But, you know, maybe you sit there and you're like, ah, it wasn't, a, it wasn't great. Like, it's not something that I would, you know, go home and be like, oh, my God, did you see that show? You guys got to watch it. I want to go home knowing, like, you know what? Like, that was entertaining. I, I like If someone had recommended that, I would have watched that. I'd recommend it to other people. So that's the goal for me. Now, I'll put a little bit of pushback because I think that you, you said that you, you don't care about the ratings and that what you say is not going to affect. I disagree with that a little bit, I think, because I think that it, a good studio show just really adds to the broadcast itself. And I think that's the right mindset to have. Like, you know, think it like, doesn't matter. You're on set. You got you to focus on what you're doing. But I think that hockey fans are really looking forward to this overall. You know, on NBC, like like we've been talking about, it was a little tight, a little, you know, struct- too structured. Hockey fans are like at least that I'm talking to, and I know like my my whole family played hockey. Uh, a lot of my friends play hockey. They're really excited for this new this this change. They were they were tired of NBC and and the 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 style of it, what it was there. And everybody loves how they do the NBA on TNT. They're really hoping that it's a similar vibe. And from the conversation we've had, it really seems like that's not necessarily the the goal. But you guys are just you guys just want it to be looser in general. Yeah. You guys and and, and you don't want to copy everything that the NBA does. Obviously you guys want to in, you know, put inject your own influence into the show. But I think that don't underestimate that, you know, hockey fans are, are looking forward to the show. They are, they, I, they, I they want, so. they and, want this to be good. And, and I want, you know, and I'm hoping people enter it with an open mind. I mean, you know, I, I think the better, the best part of it is, uh, is when I was talking to the people at Turner, about what I could bring to the job and why this is a right fit. It, it didn't feel like a job interview in the sense of like, you're trying to sell yourself for a job, like the classic yeah. job interview. Like, Oh, I could do that. I could fit into that role. Like it just felt right. What they were looking for is in essence, I think what I bring, 
You know, it's yeah. it's a spontaneous conversational uh, style, and it's it's loose, it's fun. And then if you need something to be serious, which in hockey we do, like you know, we're gonna have like right before you know the end of a period, there's a chance that someone's gonna take an elbow to a head, and all of a sudden everything we want to talk about, it's now is a suspendable hit. Um, right. You know, right. And we have to change gears, and I'm I, I I'm accustomed to that as well. So. It felt good to not be selling myself to someone as mm-hmm. like, hey, I can do that job. I can change. And I can. It was more like, hey, this is what I do. I feel like this is a good fit uh, culture wise. This is a better fit than what I've been in uh, in previous experiences. So I don't know. I'm, I, I think it's good to be excited about something because it's natural. And uh, that's what I feel like turns going to be. And I hope that eventually we develop into a show that, yeah, like respects the hardcore hockey fan and uh but brings in the casual sports fan yeah because it's just also entertaining so mm-hmm. all right one more question before real quick rapid fire and then we're done all right all right wayne gretzky he's more myth than man to people my age um you know i he i think he retired in 99 and i was born in 95 so i i didn't watch him play um he's been out of the public eye really I mean, his daughter has been more in the public eye than he has been in the in the last ten yeah. years, right? What should hockey fans expect from the great one on television? Well, I mean, I would say right away, he's, he's not going to come in here and be Charles Barkley. Uh, mm-hmm. That is that is not the expectation. It's not who he is. Uh, but he is someone who, you know, I think processes the game. Not only were his skills better, his mind was greater than everyone else's in the game. You know, mm-hmm. he's someone who processes processes the game at a speed and at a level like a grandmaster in chess does. So if you can get that and he can articulate what he's thinking and why things work and why they don't, uh, but also bring you back and, you know, take people like you back into the locker room when he played, right? Mm-hmm. Back on the ice when he played. What's different? Or I, I keep thinking about this and, and I can't wait to hear what he has to say. I want to know, like, Connor McDavid, He's going down the ice. He's getting slashed constantly. He's not getting calls. He's got to fight through him and still score. And he's pissed. Few people know that experience better than a guy like Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. You know, take me inside his mind. What is he thinking? What's that drive like? What does it take to get to the level you're getting to? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm as eager as any fan is. Yeah, the world is the world as a broadcaster. The world is your oyster with this guy. It's, It's amazing. And, you know, Everyone wants to tell stories about Wayne Gretzky, right? Everyone wants yeah. to be like, oh, like I met Wayne Gretzky or I played with Wayne Gretzky. Like everyone wants to have that experience to tell that story. He's got all the stories. Yeah. He's got them all. <laughs> Lived it. So the idea that he can take us back, take us to the moment and explain to us what it was like uh, being on the ice, being in the locker room. Uh, I'm curious, you know, like we're going to see some rookies this year who could explode on the scene. You know, how many are like, what was Gretzky's rookie? What was, what was his rookie moment like? You know, yeah. you don't think of Gretzky like as some kid who couldn't handle a moment or was like starstruck by anyone, but it happened. He was a kid. Like there had to be a moment he was in the locker room and it was like, oh my God, like look at that guy. Or someone pranked him. I want to know about that. And I, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I think, like I said, I mean, this for any sports fan, I mean, this is, this is like having Jordan at the desk for the NBA show. Yeah, or right. Brady, uh, Brady, Brady, Brady. Yeah, at the desk. Oh, it's crazy, it's unbelievable. I'm looking forward to seeing like how Carter and Bissonette interact with Gretzky, because like 
he's royalty and like they yeah. played in the league. So like, like it's, it's probably just as, it's probably even cooler for them because they played in the league and like, he's like the, like the, like he's the greatest of all time. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited to see like, does Bissonnette like, like pull a punch or two? Like, does he like, who's, not, who's, who's the first to chirp? I yeah. Mean, who is the first to chirp and, and, and talk back and right. uh, push Gretzky. And I don't know. I, I'm excited and I'm excited to see how quickly it happens. And in a way, I can't wait for it to happen because I think it's going to loosen up the show completely. I, so well, for sure. Yeah, uh, and, and I'm I'm hoping uh, uh, Rick Tockett will get some shots in as well because yeah. there should be a comfort level there. And uh, no, nah, and the minute that that happens, I think the show gets better. Mm-hmm. All right, rapid fire section. You ready? All right, let's do it. Got a, got a couple for you. Who's your sleeper out of the Metro? Teams like Pittsburgh and Washington Islanders are getting a little older. Who do you see surprising people? Oh. Uh, I would think the Rangers should should surprise some people. They should. Love hearing um, that. Yeah, I know. Um, I, I, it's it's a stacked division right now. And uh, listen, I think the Islanders are the favorite in the East. Mm-hmm. I really do. Uh, I believe that. But the Rangers can be an extremely difficult team to play. Uh, they got a little tougher. They got a little grittier. Nothing like seeing Ryan Reeves teach some of the young guys how to fight. Um, Saw that. A couple of days. Uh, and I think the goaltending should be a little bit better. There is a world of talent. And Savannah Jack gets off to a better start. And all of a sudden, you're talking, you're, you are, you're talking about a playoff team. And, and, and then Panarin's, Panarin doesn't get, like, you know, accused by Vladimir Putin of, or whatever yeah, it was. Like, yeah, can we, can we look back and realize what happened to this team last year? I yeah. mean, you know, they're a playoff <laughs> team. If crazy things don't happen to this team, um, you know, and, and Panarin's the type of guy who could any year could win the MVP. So yeah. I would say the Rangers. All right. Uh, will Ovechkin catch Gretzky in goals? Yes. Yes, I I am a firm believer. I didn't have to think about that. I know that was it. quick. I, that was like yeah, you, no, you're there. <laughs> listen, I know that every year we see him at media day, and we're like, whoa, like that's a lot of gray hair, and that guy looks really old. But then I see him out on the ice, and I don't see any reason why 30 goals or more isn't possible every single year. You also understand, like he missed this. It's crazy, right? This is a guy missed a year uh, mm-hmm. because of uh, lockout. He missed parts of seasons because of uh, 2013 uh, because of a shortened season. And now you have two shortened seasons that he's coming off of. So like he should have way more goals. They did. Um, I, I believe he will catch him. I think 30 goals or more is still possible for him going for over the next four or five years. Yeah. I mean, he's 36. Right. And I mean, like Yager played till he was like 45. Right. Isn't Yager still playing in like the Czech Republic? Still <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I do. I really believe he, he passes him. And, the cool thing is, if he can keep this pace up over the next few years, we could potentially see him pass him, and it won't be like a sad, like, hey, I scored my third goal of the year, you know, in the 70th game, yeah. and we're just kind of dragging me along to see if I get passes. I think he's still, like, later on in his career, could be a 20-goal scorer, and it could be a celebration. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that, that would be very cool. All right, expectations for the Kraken. I saw yesterday that they – uh. They used lithium as their goal song, which I thought was very cool. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what are your expectations for this team? Uh, not what Vegas did in their first year. <laughs> I, can tell you that much. Uh, I, I think they'll be a competitive team. They'll give you problems. They'll be a tough team to play in Seattle. I hope that we get a rivalry between Seattle and Vancouver that emerges. Uh, yeah. That that would be that'd be spectacular. It'd be good for the league. It'd be good for viewing. Uh, I'd love to have that be a game that we could focus on every year and be like, all right, when are they playing? Let's make sure we get that on our Wednesday night for Turner. Um, but no, I, I, I frankly, I don't think they're a playoff team, um, which 
you know, pencil them in, they'll probably go to the Western Conference Final now. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I don't think so. I think they built their team differently than Vegas did. Uh, uh-huh. it, it's a more patient plan. And uh, but I'm pumped because that's an amazing sports town. And uh, they'll be competitive. They will. And it's not a great division. So we'll see what happens. But uh, I don't think they can. All right. What's your ideal Winter Classic location after seeing Lake Tahoe? Ooh, God, that was gorgeous. Uh, Best one I'd ever been to was the Big House. Uh, And that was Detroit Mm -hmm. against Toronto in a blizzard. Uh, My wife went to Michigan undergrad, so it was like a very special moment for her. Ideal location. I'll tell you right now. I've been freezing at all these freezing at all these winter classics i would love it you know they did one outdoor game in la it was at night it looked gorgeous and i was back in the studio for it i'd like <laughs> some sort of like dry climate warm weather at night uh locale so or like arizona gets cold at night a little cold yeah you something get to enjoy like the that. daytime or i mean the ideal which will never happen for many many reasons the ideal thing would be on a frozen lake um, you know, it really would. It's going to Lake Placid. I can keep dreaming, <laughs> but really, I mean, to me, if you could find like, uh, you know, uh, it would be spectacular if you could do one of the Great Lakes with like near the shore and stands on the shore. Uh, but it's not going to happen. I'm dreaming. So that would be very cool, though. Liam McHugh, thank you so much for your time. This was an awesome conversation. I'm really glad we finally got to do this. Uh, and Folks, watch uh, the NHL on TNT. We can say that now, huh? I know. It's great. Great. (laughs) Is there a name for the show? Oh, absolutely. Is there a name for the show yet? Or like, because it's inside the NBA. Is there, is it inside the NHL? Is it NHL on TNT? So that's what we are. Yeah, we'll see. Go ahead. If you can bump something catchy or let me know. Yeah, tweet at him. Tweet at him. You have your idea. All right. And that'll do it for us here at the ground floor for myself. And producer Andrew, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.